That's the zone for you. Come back with swag, a miracle. Come back alive, success. Come back with a patrol bullet in your ass, good luck. And everything else, that's fate. to Anomalous Readings, a science fiction book club podcast. If I had an intro that was different from that last time, don't worry about it. I don't remember it. I'm Nora. I'm joined by Jackson. Hello! It's the sci-fi book club podcast we do. It is. Uh, a lot has happened since the last episode we recorded. How, how, I mean, yeah, but like, has it? Well, in what specific way do you mean on this podcast? Uh, I read two books and got COVID. Uh, well, that did happen. I didn't know we were going to do it at, at this time of the month like normal, because you did get COVID. So I was like, I know I said I was going to be hard about scheduling and make sure, because, you know, when we started this podcast, uh-huh. you were like, I want someone to hold me to the schedule. I was like, okay, I will do that for you. Uh, but COVID is an extenuating circumstance. But then you, uh, you're you ready. You're ready for it. Yeah. Yeah, we're back. We're back. Uh, I, I'm back from the zone. Oh, you've returned from the zone. I hope nothing I weird's return- going on. Uh, the weirdest thing about the zone is that there were books in there, and I read some of them. <laughs> what did you read? I read two books, and I am working through a third. Two of these I'm just going to mention briefly, um, because within a week of this episode going up, um, there will be a new episode of Ars Arcanum. About oh shit! Tress of the Gold of the Emerald Sea. I think Tress of the Emerald Sea which is the first of the four Brandon Sanderson secret project books that are coming out this year. Um, Autumn and I have both read it. I took a little longer than she did, but we're going to chat about it and have a good time with that. Brando! Uh, it's, it's, the, it's Brandon. Brandon is here. Um, so that was fun. Uh, the other one uh, that I want to mention briefly is uh, one that I'm still working on which is The Dawn of Everything. Um, it's got two authors, and I only remember one, which is David Graeber. Yes. Uh, the other one is is also a David. I just don't remember his last David name. David Wengro. Wengro. David Wengro. It's a, an anthropological book, I guess. <laughs> um this sort of is establishing uh, an argument in opposition to the framework of seeing human societies as having linearly evolved from like hunter gatherer to agriculture to commercial uh, structure uh, and sort of examining a lot of uh, archaeological and sort of indigenous um, evidence to show that like there is not a direct line in human sort of advancement in that way and that humanity has been around for a long time and we've tried out a lot of different things 
Uh, yeah. It's pretty cool so far. I'm having a great time. Um, but I don't have that much to say about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also, seems cool, yeah. No, like It's pretty long. Telling off all the people um, that are like, oh, human civilization progressed basically like the Civ tech tree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the, the third book that I read is called The Land Founding Seed of Chaos. That sounds like a Nora book. <laughs> this is uh, what's called Lit RPG, which is um, essentially a, a, a thing that seems to have been popularized in like Russia and Korea, I think, of like fantasy novels in which the world adheres to like a video game uh, uh, rule set, which you might be familiar with from other media, but this is specifically like a like a book so, version of of sort of a Sword Art Online. Yeah. So, like, what, um, what makes it? What makes? What makes it an RPG? Know. Why is it an RPG? I, what makes I, it just not a fantasy book? I don't. I think. Well, if you believe the people selling the label, it is the fact that the world of the story has rpg rules or like mechanical rules that everyone knows magic systems already exist in every single fucking fantasy series i I genuinely would need to research to see what the actual difference is do they pop up the ui like in sort of online is that what we're doing this guy shit here is that what's going on yes okay so it's just there there are character sheets you can look at uh okay through through your willpower you can open up so you can use the analyze skill on somebody and see, peep their stats. So it's just part of the like same wave as the narrow web novels that became anime that are all like yes. My but, acquisition skill helped me out in another world or whatever. But it's like um it's very similar or possibly the same thing as that. But it's being sold by certain authors in the West as a new revolutionary genre. This just in sounds a way that like is kind of funny and kind of feels kind of scammy. What it sounds like is like, okay, so fantasy, like Critical Role, is massively popular. Oh yes, uh, yes. but fantasy books, aside from like a few known authors, are not like it's hard to get the the audience. So they've, they've just attached a. I don't know, I would have to do more research and read, but it seems from the outside like it's a more of a rebranding than it is a fundamental philosophical genre shift in order to sell a certain kind mm. of fantasy book to a slightly different audience. It, it, a lot of the stuff that I see feels a lot like it's being it's a genre that's being sold to authors rather than to readers, if that makes any sense. Oh, say so like, but, hey, why don't you write a lit RPG book? It's the whole new craze. Yeah. Um, also, it's all seemingly all mmo not like tabletop rule sets i don't know what maybe just because mmos are very very popular that's probably the reason i don't even think it's that i think it's because mmos are already the template for this exact genre of fiction in light novels and anime uh but this book may be one of the worst books i've ever read Uh, (laughs) let's go (laughs) (laughs) uh it's cringy it's got, it's, so it has a, a weird sort of Ready Player One issue that, um, where, like, the book takes place in, like, the 2030s, but all of the pop culture references are from 20 years, 30 years prior. 
Oh, they're talking uh, about or they're dragon. They're Age. talking about what does the fox say? They're not talking about what does the fox say. Come on, yes, no. The, the main no characters, way. the main character's first kill is a fox that he hunts for food, and then he screams, "What does the fox say?" Ring, bing, ding, 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 ding. ding. Okay, this this book did come out in 2015. Okay, because I was like, "What does the what does the fox say?" Really? And yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm I'm taking I'm taking a look at this. Wow, this is 2015. Okay. Uh, also, if you um. Sometimes you read a book and you are reminded. Uh, another thing that does not progress linearly is um, the ability for men to write women. <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's so true. So, <laughs> that it, this is one of the m- more misogynist books I've read uh, in recent memory. Come on, but uh, you've read so many misogynist fantasy and sci-fi genre books recently. I know. Um, and an added little, I guess, bonus is that the, um, the audiobook produces extra bonus racism oh, in excellent. the character voices. I love bonus racism. Yeah, because the narrator gives this, like, sort of gnome, uh, this, like, maternal gnome, like, forest sprite figure mm-hmm. um has this just terrible asian accent that is just the most uh i you know bland uh racist asian voice go i would not do that personally if it were just me i also would not do that um so that's my been my little experience a uh, little um adventures with some books lately um the the what is it called founding um the land colon founding a lit rpg saga brackets chaos seeds book one close brackets yes that is definitely an item from the zone that is (laughs) i i um that is straight up book-shaped object territory i'm i'm looking at I've, I've gone to the Kindle page, I'm looking at the preview, and I'm getting such incredible dialogue as, okay, noob, you are in the land. You are not playing a game anymore. I'm going to say it slowly this time. You are not in a game. How did the audiobook reader handle dialogue <laughs> this powerful? Uh, well, the character reading that is a little imp. Okay. Uh, and so he's doing a little guy voice. Like, sort of a... Sort of, if you can imagine a sort of New York gargoyle, uh, that's sort of the vibe of that character. Well, that really improves all of that. <laughs> um, but you know what's way better than uh, The Land Founding a Lit RPG Saga Chaos Seeds Book 1? Most books. Yes, but especially Roadside Picnic. That's so true. I didn't ask if you had read any books, but you did not seem to I have, I have not read any, read any books. I've, I've read this book. I've been doing other... Too many things for other podcasts. I did not get COVID, um, and I did not... So I've been, like, doing my usual productive things. I haven't had any mm. sidetracks. Um, not that I want to get COVID and get time off of my usual thing to do other things. That would be stupid. <laughs> uh, what I want is my, my wrist working again so I can play more video games. Um, but aside from that, yeah. no, no, it's a normal, normal month. But I did read Roadside Picnic for this podcast. Yes, and I'm excited to talk about it because it's fucking good. Yeah. 
Um, I listened to like I listened to the audiobook, which is one of the um one of the greats in terms of audiobook sort of performances. I really recommend anyone who's uh interested in any audiobook as a format to like give this one a listen because it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um. But Roadside Picnic was published in 1972. I don't know when it was first translated. I think 1977 it says here. It uh, provides provided the inspiration for the 1979 film Stalker. Classic film. Classic movie. I haven't seen it. You should watch Stalker. It's fucking good. Um, in the 2000, I'm going to guess 2007, but it's going to be, oh, it's going to be earlier than that. It's 2007! Oh, 2007 video game, Stalker Shadow of Chernobyl, and it's, uh, uh, sequels, expansion packs, I don't know, PC games. Um, so this is a, uh, a book that a lot of people listening will have felt its influence, even if they haven't actually read this book itself but they should yeah massively famous soviet sci-fi novel uh source of one of the most famous movies of all time um hugely influential on move just stories in general about going into a weird place which is a common Uh theme um in uh many stories Uh, i uh ran a fake eberron game uh, inspired by the the zone of roadside picnic, so uh, there is there is a wealth of cool ideas in this this text here. Yeah, basically, uh, there is an event called the visit, and a lot of weird things happen in a couple of different zones zones across, across the globe. They're just called the zones. Uh, I don't know how many there were, but there's probably like. You know, half a dozen. I think they said six because um, the, it begins with the. Um, oh, it is six. Yes. Uh, the whole interview about the lines that line up on yeah. the thing. Um, you know, but basically something happened. It was weird. We call it the visit, and it is proof that uh, alien or some kind of uh, beings beyond our world do exist, and. Some they like stopped by basically, and um, what what's happened is in these six zones, uh, shit just goes weird. Things change in the environment, in the things living there or not living there, um, and strange artifacts appear. And the profession of stalker is uh, to go into the zone and brave its dangers and retrieve various weird devices or like just objects that people don't understand and bring them back out and sell them. And, uh, from that technology, um, people start reverse engineering a lot of cool new tech and everything. Um, but, uh, the story takes place over sort of a decade in the life of Redrick Schuhart's life, where he goes into the zone, he's a stalker in uh, in his twenties, and then eventually um, so has uh... okay. So the first it's told in like four parts, and the first 
part is basically one expedition that Red goes on into the zone. The second one is a is like the back end of a different expedition and then he comes back and we see how how things have changed since the last uh, story three years ago and we see Red end up get uh, getting um, arrested and put in jail for being a stalker, which is illegal. Um, and then the third chapter we cut a few years later and follow a different character and we see an, from another sort of perspective how the town around the zone has changed over the years. And um, the last one is back to Red as he's out of prison and he's here and he's doing one last excursion as the stalkers are being sort of replaced with uh, drones and like uh, remote control uh, stalkers. He does one final mission into the zone to find the last real mystery of the zone, which is this golden sphere that is said to grant wishes. That's right. They're going to get the Apple of Eden from Assassin's Creed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, that's the sort of the whole uh, broad strokes view of the book. And uh, it's it's weird. It's cool. Yeah. It's so cool. It's all like just... It's mostly uh, red going to bars and being like oh the fucking stalkers and all the other guys they're all shit and i'm shit and everything's <laughs> shit and i hate it but i'm not, I'm not gonna work for them and they're also garbage oh, everything sucks uh, it's just that for 200 pages the rules, uh, it rules. <laughs> i love it and then at the end he's like i don't fucking know man if you can really grant wishes then you know what i really want i don't have i don't know how to say it uh yeah no. happiness it's yeah it, it's really good it's just it's like um this character study about a really uh awful man um in a culture of other awful men uh living this life of like rugged total individualism or at least culturally uh like there is a culture of individualism among stalkers they are self-sufficient only they know how the zone works mm -hmm. uh even if really there is an interconnected system of capital right they are taking goods out they are being paid for it uh and then other yeah. people are selling those goods on and getting more money a very clear metaphor working here uh in the soviet book <laughs> um, uh, -huh. <laughs> uh and it's ultimately about how like even even a life of pure and like total nihilistic selfishness um up to and including like human sacrifice uh for uh for red mm -hmm. can't erase this core of like wanting to believe in the inherent love of humanity is like the way it ends wraps up and i thought that was like it's so cool it's such a fucking good ending it is and it's sudden too i will i never expect it to to be the ending when i get to the end yeah but he he has this kid with him who is running toward the sphere and he's like happiness free for all and nobody will be forgotten and then he you know jumps into the the meat uh, grinder. The grinder it's called which some sort of i think a grab one of the gravity sort of fly trap type things where it just pulls him up into the air and rips him apart 
And then Red's like, okay, now I can go to the sphere. And then he basically asks for the same thing by the time he gets there. Yeah, no, he's all like this naive kid. I like him, but uh, I'm, you know, I want to help my daughter because she's all got stuff going on. She's all weird from the zone, the monkey. Um, and uh, he has all these like wishes he thinks he wants. Uh, and then by the time he gets there, he just like looks inside himself and can he can see nothing but the same thing. It's really, it's really good. It's so powerful. I don't know. I think it's fucking incredible. Uh, that final page. It is. This is this is an all timer five star top of the list book for me. Yeah. Um. Uh, and also like just the character voice is always really strong throughout the different parts. Even though as he you see uh red change over the years. Yes. Um. He doesn't change that much. You can still definitely see who red is the whole way through. And when we have the the part with Richard Noonan. Uh, it's just so good at conveying the differences between them. Um, yeah, I just love this book. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I am. Um, I was surprised by how much I liked it because I, I like, I like Stalker the movie, uh, which I have, I've seen before. Um, and that's so much more not bleak because it, it comes to similar conclusions. Um, but it's so much more uh, about emptiness uh, in mm. a way, which this book is also as well. But like, the characters in the, in the Stalker are like lying to themselves and everyone else, um, and trying desperately to find something in them that isn't there. Which is a kind of what happens to Red at the end. But it's much more about how like, I don't know. At least the way I took it was that like this this total this life of total like selfishness right like he li- he lives as a stalker because he doesn't want to work for anyone else this pure individual need to get the goods to get the fucking swag uh, get his family paid and not have to think mm-hmm. about money it he thinks he's like committed himself fully to that uh like cynical life and then when it comes to it like face to face with god he, it's not he can't he cannot deny like that he still actually wants everyone to be happy on some level and uh it just feels triumphant in a way that the uh the movie of stalker is much more existentially terrifying um mm-hmm. than roads of picnic which i was i was shocked by how like <laughs> the the affirming turn it took towards the end like you could i guess you could also read it as like bleak um as all of his like you know, maybe he also dies point, pointlessly, uh, seeing the face of this the thing he can't understand. Uh, but I choose to not read it bleakly. I choose to read it the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think it's really fun the way that the weirdness of this book and like how committed it is to keeping so much of the book to be alien for the rate for the reader like the dead the dead speak the dead speak the dead speak the dead speak <laughs> the dead rise from the from the ground and just wander back into their homes and that's just like a minor detail that everyone just kind of has to live with for 7 years of this book yeah the way this book is also about the weirdness of the zone right and the various uh like logical and infrastructural changes of the curve of that the ways in which they like try to lock it down but then 
the, the weirdness of the zone keeps following all the people. So they're like, well, it's not going to fucking make a difference, is it then? Uh, they can't actually like trace what makes it weird. Um, and they have no yeah, idea they- why, like, you know, they don't know why stalkers' kids are being born mutated because there's nothing. There's no. There's nothing in the atmosphere. There's no. That what they have no ability to tell. Uh, but it gets put into all these like infrastructural solutions. Uh, but ultimately, all the people do is just kind of like deal with it and then go drinking. <laughs> and like at the beginning, this guy is like, "Hey, Red, don't you want to move somewhere else?" Because they're trying to like get people out of the town. Yeah. There's like a concerted effort to get people to emigrate out of the town, presumably to you know help lock down the zone um but then by the end of the book that has become uh prohibited because any place that a person who was here for the visit any place they move to just gets a statistic increase in calamities and accidents (laughs) and weird things happening and they can prove it but they don't know what's happening it's just like the data shows that this happened when this person got here so they they keep all the people in the the zone towns. Um, it's so cool. Um, and then uh, also the end of the book uh, is a lengthy afterward about the process of not so much writing the book but trying to get the book published, which was a whole ordeal. Yes, the afterward's very funny because I feel like. Um, the you know the the narrative around this book is that oh it was trying to be censored and it was speaking out against uh, the government, which is not really true at all. Especially like it's not set in Russia, it's not set in the Soviet yes. Union. Um, the like the zone isn't a the zone's very clearly a metaphor for like the gold rush and other forms of like primitive yes. capitalism and the way primitive capitalism gets turned into industrialized capitalism, right? Because like. The stalkers form this community of rugged individual rugged individualism and they go into the zone and they take things out of it and they have a whole community around the like the legends who die there, um, making these weird like gestures towards brotherhood while also acting like they don't care about each other. Like, oh, anyone who died was just stupid. I'm not stupid. I'm not that's not gonna happen to me. Um and are ultimately all replaced by like a process of industrialization and robots and like drones are eventually built to take materials out of um out of the zone. Uh and it's a, it's about like it's about that it's it's about the way that industrialization changes people's relationships to, like the natural materials and and uh it it's not it's not about the soviet union secretly being a dystopia the censors were mad that everyone kept swearing <laughs> yes the the all the comments were about the swearing or um ugly language about um just describing characters in ways that aren't uh, the most idealized, like the the quote from the afterward I remember is that heroes don't walk, they should stride. Uh, it's so funny as like the narrative around it is so intense. And then you look at what happened, it's just real stupid classical, like dealing with bosses bullshits that you would get anywhere. It's so, yeah, it, it's funny. Um, uh, and they break it's it all so, down. I guess there was a version of this that was published where the zombies are all replaced with robots it wouldn't work as well it's not as good the zombies are crucial no, that's not it that's not it that's not the book <laughs> yeah um yeah i just it is a really just genuinely one of the most touching books i've i've read 
Um, it's also like 200 pages or something. Yeah, no, it's real quick. You can read this real fast. Um, it took me two days. Uh, I read half of it yesterday, half of it today for podcasting. I was like, damn, that was a banging book. I think um, it's like a six or seven hour audio book. So, yeah, it's a seven know. hour audio book, which means it's a three and a half hour audio book, if you're me. Um, but <laughs> I, I read it. I didn't, I didn't listen to it. But I do listen to audiobooks on double speed when I listen to audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, this was ju- it was fun to step back in and. The zone, going to the zone. Yeah. I do, uh, I do have to note the um, uh, classic thing, just like last time. The. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, this beautiful sci-fi book, uh, dealing with these big ideas, uh, uh-huh. incredibly realized characters, just so smart and good. Uh, and then, and then what happens? But a woman, a woman comes along <gasps> and, oh God. and oh then God. it's like, oh no, what have you done? The, inter- so the whole bit about, uh, the vulture's kid, uh, what's her name? Oh yes. Uh, ooh. Ooh. Burbage. What is, what is Burbage's name? daughter called? I'm looking uh, up. Her name is Burbage. Oh God, I'm well, looking at the. I can't find it, but anyway. Uh... Yeah, it's she does not make it into the uh, summary on Wikipedia here. <laughs> yeah, well, um, Burbage has a daughter. Burbage is the like. The vulture, another stalker who's always leaving people behind. Uh, but Red, when he gets like his legs fucked up by the slime, the hell slime, uh, Red saves him, uh, and he goes back to um, Burbage's daughter's place. Uh, and the daughter's so mad at him for saving her dad for like weird femme fatale noir reasons. And the dialogue's like, and the 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 uh, all the description is like. Her fucking body was perfect. Like she was twenty years old, and I wanted to fuck her right then. And like, bro, what's going on? What's going on, mate? Um, it's also because there's all of the stuff in this book about how he can't have sex. Yes, normally, like most of the time, because because uh, he's a stalker. Because because of, of the zone. Because of the zone. Um. Uh, but there's the whole so so you get this thing of like a weird femfatal nasty about how like hot. Uh, uh, Burbage's daughter is, and then he slaps her and leaves, and that's like standard, uh, you know, book misogyny stuff, whatever genre stuff that I'm used to. But then in the next chapter, there's a whole reveal where it's like, uh, I, I fucked her sober, I fucked her drunk, and she was like fake. She was so bad at it. She like looks like the hottest woman, but she's actually the emptiest, fakest person alive. And I keep it's coming like, back to it because I keep like being tricked. I saw, it's like when I saw the amber buttons on my mom's coat and yeah. I wanted to suck on it like candy. And then every time I put it in my mouth, I was disappointed. But then I forgot. So every time I thought it was candy again. Like, I, what is happening? And it's just like this whole bit about um, how this woman being hot but kind of bad in bed is like betraying him. It's like betrayed him because she looks so tempting, but she's actually the fakest, most empty shit in the world. I'm like, what? What's going on? This book is so good, usually with Red's characterization, and it just suddenly starts talking about women and just like goes off the deep end. <laughs> uh, which again also happened last time with the Demolish Man. Um, uh huh. I think that the Demolish Man is significantly more uh, extreme. <laughs> I mean, the, Demol- this one. the Demolish Man has but... an entire like you know quarter of the book <laughs> about how he has to raise his girlfriend as his daughter mentally to try to fuck her uh so yes the demolished man is by percent this is literally two pages in this book it's just like a couple bits <laughs> um so it's not like 
overall as bad, but it did like just knock me out when then we got this page. Like, goddamn, sci-fi authors, knock it out. In the mid-century sci-fi authors were on one about women. Yeah, yeah. They sure were. Um I do want to do a little shout out um to the Heroes Wiki. Oh, here we go. Which has an entry for Redrick Schuhart. Uh, who lists his family as including one Monkey Shoeheart, as if Monkey is her proper name. Yes. Um, <laughs> and also, uh, under Enemies, lists Captain Quarterblad, Hell Slimes, and Meat Grinder. That That is technically true. God, the bit where he gets arrested and then escapes to only to go back at the right. I'm going to get arrested. I just had to make a phone call. Uh, yes. It's so sick. I- I need to set some shit up, and then I can go be arrested. They don't understand. I just got to deal with some stuff. Uh, and then it cuts to um, uh, Nina, and you're like, "Oh, it's going to be about what happened when he was in prison." But he's not. He's already out. But by that time, you like, I don't know the way that unfolds, and he just he just dealt with it. It's really good. I really like that stuff because I assumed when he got arrested, the rest of the book was going to be about dealing with that and the back and forth there. But it, it's not really. No, that's just another like product of the zone. Yeah. The zone. The zone. The zone's so uh, weird. The zone's so weird. This is a thing you can only do in a book. Like the, the movie is much more about like the because it's actually showing the zone, um, and it does it mostly with cuts, uh, and tension. Like the Stalker movie is about a very, very long journey into the zone. So it's like literally an hour of nothing happening as he throws nuts around. Uh, and <laughs> keeps telling you that like something could happen. It's like genuinely the most gripping cinema you've ever seen in your life. But it's much more <laughs> about like the absence of things happening. Whereas this being described on the page means that like a thing can happen that's weird, and the description of it just like can't quite grasp it. Um, you don't really know what they're avoiding because it's it's the language is so natural to Red, who's, like, learned the zone, right? And I don't know what the zone is yeah. when he's describing, like, oh, yeah, we were, like, we had to duck because of a thing, and then, like, the ground was weird, and if it went that way, then he was screaming, and um, it just it just, just feels so alien. It's just very effective writing and how it conveys that stuff. Because uh, it's very confusing and hard to follow, but it doesn't... It, it, the actual logic of the events doesn't need to be followed to understand the story, because the character voice is the thing dragging you through. Um, and- yeah, it's like pure intuition yes and like the way that it describes sort of the i guess the process of intuition and what it looks like to see a character who's just fully just vibes only navigating this weird sort of dreamscape that actually you seem it feels like everything's random but then you like realize that like no it is mappable because all these weird things that happen do happen in specific areas at specific times. Um, and things change over time, but it's gradual enough that they have maps that they use. Yes. Uh, it's really good. And it's also very ominous when you get things like, okay, so no stalker ever goes anywhere where they can't see on either side of them. They never go between things if they can help it. It's like, oh, what does that mean? The, what happened? The weird logistic stuff about like the ways in which stalker culture develops as you're like drip fed it through red, like reminiscing about the other guys and like, oh, this guy, you'll get like little paragraphs of, uh, oh, four eyes did this and there was the other guy that did this thing and it went really bad in this way. Um, 
and it's just so cool. It's just so evocative. It's the fucking zone. It's the fucking zone. There's a reason that it inspired a million things. It's just a cool concept, and I love it. The zone. The zone. Um. What do you want me to world build? Fuck you. It's an alien. Well, that's the thing. It's like the zone gets um, uh, is like an inspiration going forward. But the alien part is actually like often left out. Like the yeah. the stalker movie isn't about aliens. Uh, the zone is very unexplained there, um, whereas the the book is much much more focused on the fact that like, you know, the roadside picnic metaphor. The aliens probably came by. They were going to somewhere else. They'd stopped here, and this you know it, it was it's like a roadside picnic. You throw you throw some trash out your car, and it ruins all the grasshoppers' lives. Um, that's what happened to us, uh, which is a part that doesn't like keeping the zone more enigmatic is often the adaptational choice made um mm-hmm. yeah. and this is much like more just more. no reference to any co- potential cause like no conjecture to what what made this weird thing happen yeah like there's a, like in the movie and in other things there's like an, an absence to and like the the games right they tie it into chernobyl right which is uh uh real events that is not what this book's talking about because it hadn't happened yet um uh whereas here it's uh like the the knowing why it happened makes it like more nihilistic like they kind of realize why it happened or at least this is one of the theories uh and it tells you nothing it gives you nothing it's not a thing you can hold on to it's not a thing that you can like make reverse or come back uh, all it does is um double down on uh you know humans very small place in all things it's one of the most bewildering answers you could get to the question of like do aliens exist is like well yeah but like i don't know that maybe they were here briefly and left maybe they grazed us i don't i don't fucking know there's not there's not dudes here in green running around telling us the secrets of the universe or anything there's just two discs of bronze that are just hovering six inches apart from each other and you can't move them away from each other or further toward each other and it's just an empty space there and there's nothing there and we don't understand what this is uh yeah it's just it's just cool i love the zone i love the zone i love the zone you know what else i love what do you love i love emails emails did we get any emails we didn't ask last time but we did ask this time we did ask this time, and we got plenty of emails. Emails! So, <clears throat> our first one comes in from Crystal. I'm scrolling down just a little bit to see if we missed one last time, but I don't... Did we get any about um, uh, the Demolish Man? <laughs> oh, we did. We did. I knew there was a reason I was scrolling. Um... We got a question. We got an email from John, uh, which we missed uh, on our last episode. Um, th- these are questions about uh, the Demolished Man. Uh, you're a peeper, a damn good one, a first class Esper in the guild. What societal function do you perform, and how do your telepathic abilities aid you? You could be an Esper two or three if you prefer. This job could exist in our world or the world of the novel, but you're still recognizably yourself. Um. I am the peeper that uh, is able to tell you whether uh, someone's post is made up or not. 
Oh, okay. Like when someone's saying, oh my, we were watching this and my kid said this. If I'm like, that one's real. That one's fake. That one's real. That one's fake. Which is hard <laughs> to do because you like the person's not there to peep their mind. You have to like have an intuition of the technology. and the, That's my job. That's my job in people land. Psychometric posting. Exactly. Um, uh, I guess I would be able to tell you, um, this is the lamest power, the lamest job, but I can be the person who's like, oh yeah, we don't have any of that in the back. It's actually, uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh, you know what? We do have one of those somewhere. Give me a second. Um, one thing I enjoy about older science fiction is various ways authors try to extrapolate future technologies and forms of knowledge based on those available at at the time and this email has spoiler text that I can't open okay (laughs) rip (laughs) I was like what's the the trouble I didn't realize there was weird spoiler text in the email well that's one technology (laughs) I don't understand that that is one that's one I don't understand um in the demolishment, it's the depiction of psychoanalysis that is also expressed through peeper te- telepathy. Living in the present, we have our own, often very distinct, perspective on these technologies, their function and their potential. That friction between author and reader gives these works a particular out-of-time character I find charming. Uh, looking around at contemporary science fiction, are there any depictions of technologies or forms of knowledge that you think will likely seem strange to future readers in a similar manner? Put simply, what are we weirdos about in the way that Alfred Bester is a weirdo about psychoanalysis? Um, AI. Yeah, AI. I don't actually know the state of contemporary sci-fi enough to answer this. Is the thing? Um, I guess that's. I don't. I. I also don't know about the fiction side of this. I'm like, I'm not reading that much modern sci-fi books. But I'm like, I'm thinking about TV and other and other stuff. And like, it's it's also franchise based. I'm like, what are the questions? Right? What are the the, the thematic questions driving? Um driving the the works that are being produced right now and it's often like it's either meta-textual discussions about its own franchiseness or it's about climate change and capitalism and like direct things that will still be a you know still be uh a, a, like a, a focus later on i'm trying to think of the psychoanalysis equivalent of what's the like weird the weird tangential thing that we seem to give a shit about that that won't hold up i have been uh I've subscribed to a couple of different like short fiction publications mm-hmm. recently, um, including Clark's World, which then got flooded with AI submissions. God, it's so true. Um, that that stuff's real bleak. Not in. The, I don't think yeah. it's going to change like the way technology like writes stories necessarily. Um, I I think it's going to change the way that like. Uh, I mean, this is already the thing, right. It makes editorial work harder it makes submissions harder yes. it makes harder for small authors to get noticed because if you don't already have a reputation no one can trust you um it just it it's, closes you know it sucks it it sucks um and like i guess drawing on the, some a handful of things i've read from stuff like that i think maybe climate change could be something that could take a turn at some point of like the way people depict uh, the like forty years from now effects of climate change could be totally off, but um, I guess that's the only like 
Well, in what in what sense? Like, I mean, like climate change is real, right? We all know this. Yes, and, yes, and it's happening. I just like what that means, and how society reacts to it. Could we could be like writing fiction that is totally off of like it could be totally more bleak or less bleak than what actually happens. I mean, it's because like I feel like we know exactly what's going to happen with climate change to a, a, a like an exact <laughs> degree of it will be like corporate negligence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, COVID was an incredible dry run for like what happens when there's a world like world destabilizing crisis and how do like people in charge react to that uh, in order to still make more money and uh, they did it really well like COVID the profits on COVID went up so fucking much uh, the like I, it was a real like oh this is just gonna happen with climate change all over in every every in every single area um, I'm always thinking of that tweet where um. When I walk into the bathroom, <laughs> yes! piss all over the seats. I know we're never doing anything about climate change. Uh, it's one of the best tweets. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh. there, there is already. I feel like the 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 um, break there is like, do you have some, you know, materialist nerd writing sci-fi, or is it like doing Star Trek liberalism, mm-hmm. where they think that like some technology might change it or fix it? Uh, that's often the sci-fi thing. Is like a. I mean, it depends which kind of sci-fi author you get, but you often get there. You know, the two broad approaches are: you get the sci-fi author about scaremongering about how a technology will change things, or you get sci-fi author using a technology to examine social frictions that are already there. Um, yeah, which is generally the kind I prefer, right? Because those don't change. But uh, it might be total something we don't even think about, like I don't know, VTubers. Um, I do think there will there is like <laughs> this is this isn't really the stories themselves. This is much more like the discussions around them. But like the ways in which like fandom representation discussions influence the way stories are told, and like what mm. it means to be a good character uh, is one of the things that's going to age pretty badly. Um, in that's true, and obviously not in the sense of like it's weird because talking about this you you get the worry of you don't want to to say um you know explicitly not saying that ah oh, it'll all this diversity is going to age badly that's not what i'm saying i'm saying like the, yeah. the corporate disney form of it right um yeah and the weird value judgments made uh around the ways characters are represented and the way it silences like more nuanced uh expressions of self for idealized representational um things and specifically the ways in which like predominantly young fandoms have really latched onto this value as being important i think might age really bad because obviously there's like there's backlashes to that there's people arguing about the tender queers or whatever every day however true or made up that Uh is um a lot of uncomfortable dynamics in those uh in those situations um but i do think that is very specific to this moment and the ways in which that is definitely a thing that people years from now will say why were they such weirdos about that <laughs> why yes. was everyone on one about xyz that i can see that for sure it's not as broad um, as um like the psychoanalysis stuff in uh old not even mm. just sci-fi just an old genre stuff psychoanalysis was huge for a while in a very dumb way um but like our equivalent is like you know fucking um sherlock's uh, ntj or whatever uh so <laughs> But because it's so, um, it's so much more. The things I'm thinking of are so much more about fandom that, like, I don't know how much they'll be in. When a, someone who's looking back looks at the the purely the text without the context around it, how much of that they'll pick out of it, right? Like, if someone in a hundred years watches the Last Jedi, they're not going to fucking think about Raylo. 
uh, beyond the fact that they're in the movie talking to each other, right? They're not going to know what that is. If, if culturally, right, if culturally we have somehow kept the fucking Raylo rem- memory alive past my own death, uh, I'm I mean, going to be listen, furious. I mean, do, do people know about Zutara? Is that... Is that around? I don't know. I mean, I it does so. still come up, but yeah, less now. I do. I think it the, comes up, but like from people my age, people who were there. No one cares about Zutara anymore. Yeah. Fuck off. Nobody's arguing about this anymore. Anyway, no one cares. Yeah. So that, that um, that's a broad, barely an answer to your question, but I guess that's where we went with yeah. the prompt. Sorry. Um. Oh, gaming. Maybe gaming. Like the the uh, the the sacredness of of video games. Uh, but we got some emails from Crystal. Yeah. Crystal first says, In my opinion, a guy is someone you can easily imagine outside the boundaries of a specific story. Modern media is very good at producing instant guys because it often presupposes that any story is part of a series of stories and any major character can be merchandised. However, even if a character is not initially a guy, they can become a guy simply by the process of imagining them in new scenarios. This necessarily results in them being less tethered to any one context and more a collection of traits that can be adapted to many scenarios. I do like this definition. I don't know how much I agree, because it, like... All right, one of my most hated documents uh-huh. in all of things ever is the uh, character sheet uh, for Mass Effect 2 um, and the, the ways they pitch characters. Um, oh, like a like a dev thing. Yes. I thought you meant the status screen. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I understand. No, no, no. no. I mean, I meant... Um, They're uh, like um, index card pitch for a character. Yes, uh, Mass Effect Two's Mass Effect Two's cut characters revealed. Let me find the video. I need to find the like uh, the actual um, thing here because it does exist, and uh, I need to find the like wording on the document. So I'm just going to quickly scroll through it. And see when I can find it. There we go. Here we go. I've I found it. So the things you need is they they labeled them all, and there was like there was a, a headline saying this is what like this is who they are. This is their species and their age. And there was a thing saying what why is this character cool, amusing, or interesting? And you have to like explain why the character's good based on things not to do with Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um in a way I found deeply off-putting because I I go backwards, right? If, if, if I'm thinking about how character works, uh, I will think about their context first and then the character follows. The idea of... And this this is why I don't like Mass Effect 2 because you're right. Like, I look at Thane and someone said, this is a cool, sacrificial, like, bounty hunter assassin, right? Tragic assassin who loved me. Um, and that concept has got nothing to do with the story he's in, right? Like, he just... That is an elemental thing in his guyness, as Crystal says. Mm. Uh, and then he is implanted marketably into Mass Effect 2, and I find it so deeply cynical, um, even though uh, I do think there is something to be said for, like, iconic guys. With, like, you know, I'm not saying it's bad to have characteristics and characters. Uh, I would just, like... I think the creation process should go the other way, I guess. Uh, yeah. I think saying, I, I want I, to harm Solo sucks. Um, 
I don't know, because I kind of agree with what you said, and I also see what Crystal said, so it's like, yeah. it is sort of weird, it still is a weird, muddy definition of what I mean by, like, Redrick Shuhart is a guy. <laughs> um, I've, I've got one of them here, it says, The Cordial Smuggler, any race, male or female, 30-ish years old, why is this character cool, amusing, or interesting? This character, this charismatic rascal has all the connections. He loves all people, seeing the good side even in the bad guys, and as such has friends and contacts in all organization. He'll follow a paragon or renegade, uh, renegade shepherd equally with a smile. He's got the free spirit of Han Solo with the naive enthusiasm of Luke Skywalker. He would be a good source of humor, since he'll be jovial in the worst of situations and can play off more rugged Rex-type characters. That's not a character! You've just invented the most boring man ever! Oh, he's so cool, and he knows everyone, and his dick's huge. Who the fuck is this? What is this character? <laughs> I mean, it clearly is like this wasn't one of the concepts that they went with, right? But like as a pitch on the page, oh, that's okay. nothing. That's nothing. That's not a guy. That's not. That's literally, you know. Oh, what if he was the coolest guy and he was fun? And um, I saw this that on the document. Just somebody I was like, des- this is somebody describing their own player character. <laughs> yes. This is like a role play guide for somebody who's like, okay, I'm gonna play this guy who's like friends with everybody, or whatever. Like, this is nothing. This is not a guy. Um, Connor McLeod does not become a guy until Highlander Four. <laughs> Solarian assassin, much like Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride. The Solarian is obsessed with. Why? Rev- <laughs> the Solarian in what is way? With rev- <laughs> Yeah, they didn't make he's this guy. Like, yeah. This is a Solarian, but he's also a Spaniard. Uh, yeah, so like realizing that the character creation process of Mass Effect 2 worked like someone said, what if, you know, what if Solarian was like a weird scientist? Whoa! And I just see, I now, because the... This was a video often like focusing on the character that didn't make it, but realizing this was the process, I, I already don't like Mass Effect 2, but I see it. I see it so much in those games. That's what all of those characters are. Uh, and I don't like them for this exact reason. But also they're very, very popular for this exact reason, right? Like it did work, clearly. Everyone loves Mass Effect 2 and loves to go, oh, the characters in Mass Effect, they're so good. Uh, so it clearly is like successful, but I find it cynical. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I we might. It, you know what? Being a guy might be a sort of zone, <laughs> a zone uh, like sort of a a a, a zo- z- zonic. What can we say for like a an adjectal? It's zonal, but I don't. I still don't understand how zonal. Uh, because you can't you can't explain it. Um, but Crystal also says. Which item of yours would you take and accidentally or intentionally leave behind on a roadside picnic, and how would it warp the earth around it? Um. So, so I'm going on a roadside picnic. Or am I an alien? What? Like in what? Uh, if, if I went sure. on a real roadside picnic and caused a zone to happen, I, I'm read it again. Uh, I we got this question a couple times, so let me read the different versions. Crystal says, "Which item of yours would you take?" And accidentally or intentionally leave behind on a roadside picnic, and how would it warp the earth around it? And then, uh, uh, Jay asks, What ephemera from your life would you leave behind carelessly to catastro- catastrophically disrupt an emergent civilization picking through your wreckage? Okay, so, so it's a thing I own, like a thing in my life. Um, yes. What would you ruin everything with by leaving it around? 3DS. 
Can you hack a 3DS? It's surprisingly easy, actually. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I think mine would probably be a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have a lot of those. <laughs> I used to play different card games at school. I don't know. I forgot them all anymore. You know, like when you were young and you just had a deck of cards, so you had to know like things to do with them. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Various. I don't go remember fish. them anymore. I don't, yeah, like Go Fish and other things like that. Um, I used to know them. because Yeah, that was one of them. Um, I never learned that one. But... <laughs> uh, I used to know. I know. Now I don't. I like because I haven't haven't done that. I've had actual things to do, and I haven't just been stuck alone with a deck of cards for over fifteen years. <laughs> I do think it would be fun to leave behind a deck of Yu-Gi-Oh cards and then inspire sort of like some sort of religion around these monsters. Some say that the ancient Egyptians already did that. Some say. Uh, Some other questions from Jay, who asks, uh, while my poor time management is stopping me from engaging with full book knowledge, what dumbass fuck-up gets you got in the zone? Um, I just go the wrong way. I just turned left. (laughs) I don't think of anything, uh, bro, I'm like, oh, what's over there? Bam, down. Oh, my head exploded. Weird. I was in the head exploding vertex. Um, it's... Is this anything like the Stalker games in the way that would make them worth playing if I've already helplessly fallen in love with the book from chapter one? I don't actually think so. If what you're in love with is like the tone of this book, um, that is just not present in Stalker the video game, I don't feel like. Um, no, it's, it Stalker the video like game is much more thing. like a, about the uh, rugged nastiness of various factions betraying each other, which is like present in the book. Yeah, uh, but like they have guns. There's no guns in the zone. It's like they make fun of There's guns. There's no guns in the zone. Uh, they're not at war. It's, they're, they're like a, you know, weird economic class uh, in a specific situation. Um, so it has just has a very different vibe. Uh, the zone is not a dungeon. No, the zone is not a dungeon uh, like it is in um Stalker the game. In Stalker, yeah. So I think it is very pretty different in that regard. Um, I I guess the thing that jumps to mind for me in terms of like games that feel like like roadside picnicy um i do my brain does jump to like caves of cud as the first pick um it's not precisely the same um it's sort of a different type of setting but it was that was i don't know why that was the first thing that came to mind um but I, I don't know. I've played a little bit of Stalker, and I didn't get hooked in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but M wrote a question. Ooh. Uh, that's M from Abnormal Mapping. I know who that I is. I don't, I, don't know what the, I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> you have one special skill when it comes to navigating the zone. What is it? And also, how will it, how will it hubristically be your undoing at some inevitable point? Um, I mean, my special scale is like I have a really detailed memory for the path I took, uh, but I don't account for the ways in which the zone changes. This is very clear, mm. clear and easy. Um, situation is trusting, trusting my own memory and re- refusing to do as many like tests when I think I've understood something because I have hubristically decided that I've already mastered the space. 
I have a good... I I think I have a pretty good sense of smell. And so I think I would be able to sniff my way through the zone uh, and then I would sniff something bad. How is that? How is that hubristic though? Like, where's the ironic twist to, like, you Uh, you thought you had it in hand and you didn't? I smell something and it smells like one thing, but it's actually another. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Smell is what was the thing that I jumped to. Um. Or I I go up and sniff something and then that something jumps out at me. Um, Yeah. Uh, we've got two last questions from Cherry Nova. Okay. Who asks, you're in Red's basic position at the end of the book. What are you screaming at the sphere? Uh, I mean, probably the same thing, I hope. Yeah, I would hope that face to face with God, I would also just ultimately, you know, want things to be happy for people. Um, yeah. It seems like a pretty good... Uh, pick there i mean it's a very boring um, answer but like the, the theme of the book is that he also thinks he's going to scream something else and then doesn't like that's, that's yeah. what the book's about as he thinks there's something out there um but can't but it, i guess before before face to face with like the you know emptiness of all things and my desire for love to like overcome those uh, uh i would i guess ask for uh you know a nicer pc <laughs> Uh, can, can I get a? Can I get a McDonald's? Burger? Yeah, can I, can I get a burger? <laughs> I'd ask for um some Nando's. I'd ask for cheeky Nando's. Rib Deluxe. I get um, them to bring back chicken selects in America. I still have them, but my friends always complain every time I get them they can't have chicken selects. So that's my wish for you: is chicken selects for everybody. <laughs> I scream in capital letters. This uh. <laughs> And no- nobody left sauceless. <laughs> nobody left um, without sweet chili dip. <laughs> uh, I this last question is primarily for you, Jackson. Okay. Uh, if you mention the film Stalker at all, do you think that the Stalker is a little meow meow? What does that mean? This is the end of the email. A little meow meow. Yes. Is that is, like is the, is the Stalker a little meow meow? What does that mean? I'm pulling out the gun. Answer the question. Is the stalker a little meow meow? Is that like a scrungle? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what does that mean? I think, I think that's like a blorbo. What is the difference? Sorry, I'm like 30 years old in the year. I'm not 30. I keep thinking I'm 30, but I'm actually 29. Um, the only time I've ever thought I'm older than I am is how much I keep... I've already mentally, as a form of preparation, checked myself over to being 30, but I'm not yet. <laughs> I, I think this is healthier than like trying to hold off I'm, like, oh, I'm not 30 yet oh you know anyway um okay let me let me if it i think this is like asking if the stalker is a wooby what's a wooby <laughs> tv tropes had a page called the wooby which was like the character like an eeyore who just is down on their luck for the whole story and that's what a little meow meow is <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> a little meow meow might be a sort of like, oh, I pity this little guy. Look at this little little guy. I mean, he uh, is like is a my, pitiable I'm sad guy. I'm this as, as my little pet little guy. I guess he is like a pitiable sad guy, but I don't, I don't know. I, 
I don't know what you're talking about. I know. <laughs> I can't answer the questions, but I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, um, I'm. Thank you all for the wonderful emails. Um, I hope uh, you've all enjoyed the episode. I thought we had a miscommunication about what the next book would be, but I have chosen a book. Yes, you have chosen the book. Uh, I didn't think that we'd get to it this fast, but it is To Sleep in a Sea of Stars by Christopher Paolini, uh, perhaps more famous for the Aragon uh, sort of fantasy novels. He he suffers without his stone. Without his stone. Um, yeah, it's... Um, it's a much bigger book than these. That it's bigger than all three so of the books far. we've read combined so far. I just want to stress it, that it is 890 yes. pages. This is a long ass fucking book. Oh God. I thought it was 600. <laughs> no, it's an 890 page book. It's a... This might be the biggest book we read on the podcast. I, I should hope so. I mean, I don't know. Is the expanse bigger? No. Those are pretty big books, right? There's like nine of them. They're all like 500 pages. Well. This is significantly longer than Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, that's true. Slightly Game shorter than Dark to Dragons. So that's that's where we're at. Um, uh, well, it's I know it's, it's shorter than uh, The Way of Kings, but... Okay, but that's not a touchstone for me, so I don't know. I, my touchstones are much shorter yeah. books than this. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, yeah, if you don't read along, don't worry. We understand. I've got to do this. So um, it, 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 yeah. I don't think it should have been that long. But You've already read it? <laughs> I have already read, I read are it. Are you going to read it again, ago. or am I just on my own on this one? I'm going to read it again. You're going to read it again? <laughs> I don't know if that's worse. I'm like, is that worse or not? I don't know which way around I'm going on this. Um, Listen, when we when we did the first episode of Journal Updated, we did replay the Outer Worlds that we had just played four months ago. Okay, well, you have fun with that. So, uh, I'll be reading it for the first time. Um, and, and I'll be listening to the audiobook where uh, Jen Hale reads it. Um, because... Christopher Paolini really liked Mass Effect. Speaking of Mass Effect. Wait, isn't Jen Hale Cortana? Or no, I'm getting confused. No. That's the other I, one. That's Jen Taylor. Yes, I think that's true. This is uh, Shepard. Okay, I played Male Shepard, so I don't know who that is. I don't actually know. I also did my first time through. I just played um, the default, and then I kept importing the yeah. guy. Um, but yeah. So uh, that's what what we're reading next. It's a big one, uh, and I'm sorry for that. But um, I needed to share this book with someone. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll um I'll have to cook up something for next time then, because it's my pick after this. Yes. Um, and uh, I could do anything. I will, it will, I'm going to tell you right now. It's not going to be 800 pages. It's not going to be 880 pages long. Um, thank you whatever I, I, I appreciate that you're you're a kinder soul than me <laughs> uh so i'm i'm kind of dreading this but I'll, I'll it'll be you know what it'll be a much longer read than this but i assume it will not be as dense or interesting as um i mean 
I don't think it'll be picnic. as dense, certainly. <laughs> I assume we're going to get much longer dis- like descriptions of just like action in a way that's not like every line in Roadside Picnic is dense character relationships and voice stuff. It's such a yes. mm, oh, such a well-written or crafted book. And uh, it's going to be fun to see uh, Christopher Paolini go against that. <laughs> Which I, maybe yeah. I'm being really mean. I have not read Aragon. I just assume it sucks. So maybe that's on me. <laughs> Uh, I have a, I have a very, uh, complicated relationship with the, with the, the works of Christopher Paolini, because I do think a lot of the, those, the inheritance cycle is mid or bad, but I also think a lot of it is actually pretty good and interesting, but also part of that is my Lucensian lens of like, oh, look, I can see Chris on the page. That's fun. You like to rotate Christopher Paolini in your mind. <laughs> I do. Are you going to be reading Murtag? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be rereading the Aragon books unless this book prompts me to uh, go back to that. Because I did a big reread of all of the all four of those books uh, a year or two, maybe three years ago. Uh, this, um, according to a. Uh... According to Wikipedia, there is a new Inheritance Cycle book coming out soon. Yeah, but that's been the case for 10 years. Okay. So I think it is actually coming out soon because he's writing a prequel to Sleep in a Sea of Stars that is coming out this month. To be clear, Murtaugh um, isn't a spin-off and it isn't a retelling and it isn't a one-off. It's a direct line sequel to the Inheritance Saga and an, essen- an essential and necessary part of oh. what I'm doing in Alaglasia. Much of the questions I left unanswered at the end of Inheritance are answered in Murtaugh, so don't think I'm letting okay. you all hang. That would be mean. Yeah, because, like, Aragon gets this prophecy that someday he will leave Allegasia forever, and then at the end he does, and he goes off the map, and then he wrote a spinoff of little short stories about Aragon's adventures off the map, um, where while while Murtag stayed behind with the fantasy setting that was established and, like, is dealing with the aftermath of the big uh, story events and everything. I'm trying to remember which who, who Murtag was. Murtag is the... He's, uh, like, the the guy right he's he's the sort of the edgy anti-hero like like traitor turned good guy oh right yeah because i i watched the movie with you and nora which was which not with you and autumn which was fun that's i'm nora you're nora hello nora (laughs) uh the guy with bangs yeah no the guy with emo hair is murtag uh they should bring back um uh galbatorix He's dead as hell. He's the most dead you can be. Yeah, well, somehow Galvatorix returned. <laughs> <laughs> the dead speak. The dead speak. The dead speak. Uh, that man got nuked. That man literally got nuked. Uh, Palpatine <laughs> fell down a reactor, then blew up. Then the Death Star blew up, uh, and he was fine. Well, so Galvatorix turned every atom in his body into energy using magic why uh because he had to experience all of the pain that he caused in his immortal life at once and he was then he cast the spell be not on himself and blew up okay but that seems like a really unsatisfying ending to does it weird that that would feel that way (laughs) that seems like (laughs) is that what that sounds like Seems like the villain of the story sold the problem for himself there. Seems like you wouldn't really be satisfied with the ending of the inheritance cycle. 
<laughs> there are more details to that and how that came to be that are kind of interesting. But yes, it is. It was a yeah. Uh-huh. It, it it was a little bit of a cop out. <laughs> you wanted Aragon to stab him. Just get his ass. <laughs> wanted uh, Aragon to yeah 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 on John Malkovich. <laughs> He is John Malkovich. <laughs> he suffers uh, without his stone. Uh, that's the end done. of the podcast. That's the podcast. Everyone. Thank you for listening. We're we're uh, at risk of devolving into uh, nothingness <laughs> if we keep casting being not in ourselves. Jackson. Yes. Uh, where? What zones do you inhabit on the internet? Uh I am at headfallsoff on twitter.com and I'm co-host. Uh, and you can find the podcast that I do at abnormalmapping.com and support them at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping where you can get the Great Gundam Project for $1 a month. Uh, I guess most successful podcast. People seem to like it. We're watching Sea Destiny right now, which sucks. Uh, but eventually we'll be done with that and we'll be on to better Gundam. And worse Gundam, I'm sure. Nope. I'm, you never know. No, we we know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think... It can get worse than Seed and Seed Destiny. I genuinely think we've hit the floor on how bad anime can get to cover in a weekly podcast. I genuinely, 100%, am willing to put money down that it never gets worse than this. I hope that you're right. I, I hope that's. I don't need you. to hope. I have a confidence. I have a certainty in my... Okay, yeah, I don't, but... <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at neither Nora on co-host at Ash with an E, Worm with a Y. Um... Find stuff I've done at norablake.online. You can support this podcast by going to exportaud.io or patreon.com slash exportaudio. And if you give us just a dollar a month, you'll get early access to many podcasts, including Pardon My Franchise, the podcast where me and my wife watch movie franchises that are long and weird and like last a little bit too long and iterate a little too much on the original idea. Uh, we've been watching Highlander, of which there is, there are two good movies we've seen so far, uh, neither of which are Highlander, <laughs> the first movie. Um, but it's been fun. And some other stuff uh, that I'm not on, like Ornate Stairwells, which is about movies, and um, there's a Batman one. You know... Get in there. See what's up. We just started Mordor Movie Night. That's right. Bag and Book Club is back, but it's Mordor Movie Night. That's fucking right. And um, so we'll be doing those every two weeks. That'll be fun. Um, But that brings us to the end of this episode of Anomalous Readings. Thank you for listening. And uh, keep watching the skies. (gasps) Oh.